Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, it, it is exciting to be together always, but today maybe a little extra because today is the day uh, that we will conclude our walk through the Revelation. This is our last installment. Eleven months uh, we have been in the Revelation, and we will close it out today. If you are joining us uh, for the first time, you're thinking to yourself, "Oh my goodness, you can't even have a study on Revelations." Uh, well, you uh, you got to go back, uh, and we'll, you'll you'll hear this today. This message could stand alone, uh, but you can go back and catch all the archives. They're available to you. Uh, a couple of places, but you can find the archives at themanchurch.com. Go there. Uh, some of you men, I love you, but uh, you don't understand the media button. Uh, and uh, the, I keep getting emails. The media button's not working. It, 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 you just hover over it, and then there's a drop-down menu that says you want to watch it or listen. Some of you are clicking it going, well, the media button didn't work. You, you hover, and then if you're looking at it on the, on the phone and you see media button outside, there's this little, like, you know, three quarters of a triangle, click on that and the drop menu will come down, listen or watch. You can watch or listen. Uh, if you just want to do audio only too, you can, uh, you can find it at BurgessMinistries.com under listen. So there's all the archives and not just this Bible study, but Bible studies past. So the manchurch.com, I mentioned that. Yes, that's a men's discipleship strategy. Uh, that's how this Bible study started working on that strategy many, many years ago. Uh, the strategy hit the, the, the nationwide rollout. Uh, in March of 2020, uh, we're now con- uh, concluding um, 2024, and uh, we got some great things coming. I mean, 2023, then we got 2024 stuff coming up. Some things that you can be aware of right now. Okay, right now uh, in 2023, we we did release this a 31 day devotional. If you're looking for kind of a personal resource, uh, just for you as an individual, uh, really men or women, uh, it's uh, it's called Transformed. Uh, embracing the death of self and the power of God. That's the 31-day devotional. It's available at themanchurch.com. Uh, we have four 40-week curricula that are available uh, for you to plug in into your church, into your community groups, uh, and we have a fifth one that will be coming out in 2024. We also have another 31-day devotional that will come out in 2024, and we also have our Man Church conferences coming in 2024, Birmingham, Alabama on February 16th and 17th, Robbie Gallaty, Rich Wingo, uh, also, you'll have Andy Blanks from Team Man Church. I'll be speaking. Chuck Hooten leads worship, and we'll be introducing those new resources to you as churches from all over the country will converge on Birmingham, Alabama, kind of like a Man Church Summit and network. What's working for you? How's it going? I'd like to find out more about it. I just want to take my men to a great conference. Uh, we we saw God move in a mighty way this year, the first one we've ever done, and we anticipate that coming at even a, a greater level in 2024. So Birmingham at the right center. Center, Sanford University, February 16th and 17th. Those reserved seats are about 60% gone. So only about 40% of the seats remain if you want to make a move and get that done. Also coming in March 8th and 9th, we'll be at Mississippi State University, Starkville, Mississippi. We'll be at the Bettersworth Theater. Uh, we have uh, James Spann will be there, Mississippi State graduate. Also uh, Scott Dawson will be speaking there. I'll be speaking. So will Rich Wingo. And we may have an additional speaker that I may announce as early as tomorrow uh, on the Rick and Bubba show. And, and, and if, if it all comes together, it's going to be even bigger. Those tickets are about 50% so. So you got about half the room left. So if you want to move on those, you can. And, of course, Chuck Hooten leads worship for that one too, and we'll roll out uh, the new resources there. So if you're looking for some man churches that are not conferences, they're just gatherings of, our, of, of men getting challenged and going back into our curriculum, you can find those at themanchurch.com under events. And uh, if you're catching this on uh, Wednesday, November the 8th, tonight, James Spann. 
uh, will be speaking at Indian Springs Baptist Church. Is they, This is their second man church, and they're rolling through one of our curriculum. And then tomorrow night on the 9th at my home church in Birmingham, Valleydale, Blake Prime will be speaking. I'll be interviewing two men that will talk about how this strategy has changed their life. Uh, and so I'll interview a couple of those, and I am going to sing with the band. I'm singing tomorrow night at Valleydale. If you want to be there, it's free. We'll start out with dinner, which will feature 21 different chili recipes. Uh, it's our big chili cook-off as well. If you want to be part of that, there's no charge for that. Uh, you can certainly come and be with us. Uh, one more thing, and then we'll jump in. December 1st, New York City, Promise Keepers. We're teaming up with them. I'm honored to be uh, speaking at the Daring Faith Conference. Join us in New York City if you want to. You can find that at themanchurch.com, too, for December 1st. Or if you'd like to have a simulcast to your church of the entire conference, Promise Keepers, they're offering that. Uh, you'll find out how to do that, too, at that link at themanchurch.com under December 1st. All right, so let's open up in a word of prayer, and we will finish our walk through the Revelation. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, praise your holy name. May we hear what you say to us today. Uh, may we never be the same. Uh, I pray that you continue to refine us into the people that only you can. You're making us something that you're more comfortable with as you sanctify us. And may that continue today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So we're in the Revelation. We're going to start 22 chapter, and we're going to start in verse 16. For those of you that may be new to studying the Bible, this is an easy one. Go all the way to the last page of the Bible. Go to the last page, that's where we are. Uh, and you you look at, uh, at, at chapter 22, and you'll see verse 13. So in, in, in the, these concluding verses, uh, we, we kind of put a, a, a title over that, and that's what's important about today. This is, in Scripture, the Lord God Almighty's last invitation. One more time. He's calling us to repentance. He's calling us to transformation. So uh, so here it is. There's a, there's a future event which will be God's last invitation. And so uh, we, we're going to talk about that in these concluding verses. Uh, the Bible, as we should not be surprised, is going to come full circle, all the way back around, kind of like the conversation that I just had there right over here. Uh, when There's some people that, uh, that believe the Bible is not conclusive, conclusive uh, from the Old Testament into the New Testament, that somehow the, the Old Testament is over. Uh, that's a well, that's a weird theology since that's what Jesus taught from. Uh, but anyway, and uh, and and everybody else was teaching from from the New Testament since it wasn't finished yet. Uh, but anyway, and, and and that Jesus is fulfilling uh, the the old covenant, and we start talking about his redemption and the need of it right there in Genesis, which we did a year on Genesis. If you want to go watch that, so what we're seeing it opens with a promise of the coming Savior who will redeem his people from their uh, their sins. This started, this game plan started by God right out of the gate after the fall of mankind. If you remember this, and here's what we're seeing, this has, this has taken place, Genesis 3, 15, after the fall. God comes and, and asks Adam what's going on, and, and he lets Adam know how, how this was not what we talked about and how did you let this happen. And then he, uh, he, then he starts talking about all the results of this sin. And then he turns around and uh, he says to the serpent, to the devil himself, uh, in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Here he comes. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus 
is what God is talking about, that I'm going to take this woman and I'm going to start a lineage of humanity, and, and it's going to go all the way to the God-man shows up, and my son, and he's going to lower himself, take on human flesh, be 100% God, 100% man, and he's coming for you. And we know that that has already happened. Jesus has defeated Satan. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. And all of that has happened. So Scripture is going to end with the promise of his second coming. The second coming is a big deal. Uh, We know that there's been some people that have messed up and they've confused the second coming with the first coming. Uh, That's all going to be resolved through the tribulation. Uh, There's going to be a clarification of that. The second coming is uh, is a compelling theme, and that come the second coming is from the the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, uh, and and there'll be there'll be emphasis on that again today. Because why? There's nowhere else in Scripture where the second coming is more clearly laid out and more focused on uh, and greater emphasis than what we just finished or are finishing today, and that's the apocalypse. I mean, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember what we said the first day we said in here. you got to understand what this is a revelation of. It's not a ghost story. It's not some mystery novel. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. John tells us that right out of the gate. So, so the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we just finished verses 6 through 12, and what did we see? Four responses demanded due to the fact of, of his intimate return. I mean, he, he, he's coming at any time, could happen at any time. There should be four things we should be doing knowing that Christ could return at any time, and we ran through those. Now, verses 13 through 21, that's today, is going to be something that— let me tell you something. If you're out there and you end up burning in the lake of fire, the Lord God Almighty, he tried, and he tried, and he tried. And so the last thing he's going to do in 13 through 21, he's going to call unbelievers to repentance. He's going to say, based on everything I've showed you about the future, this final word from my holy word, the final thing I'm going to say to you because of everything that I just showed you through the apostle John, everything I, I have not held any of this from you, and because of everything that I just laid out, you need to repent. And he's still going to do it. Remember when he was here with, in human flesh and he would say, repent or perish? Uh, to Peter at Pentecost, what are we supposed to do? Repent. So this, the, if we don't, we cannot allow Satan to infiltrate the church and the message of repentance be removed. Because if we don't ever talk about sin and we don't ever talk about repentance, people start thinking, I don't need a Savior. But we do. Okay? And so that that's the problem with that. So he's calling them. The inspired canon of Scripture is going to close uh, with an urgent invitation, pleading with sinners to come to Jesus Christ and receive the gift of eternal life before it is not just too late in the day that you're in before it is forever too late. It's one thing for you to say, man, it didn't happen today. We got this trial. Let's talk to him again tomorrow. What, what God is saying in there's a forever too late that's coming where there won't be another opportunity. And that's either going to be at our earthly death or it's going to be when Jesus returns. One of those two. And what do we say this? Somebody, somebody was talking about this and they actually wrote it down. I didn't think it was all that profound. But it's almost like somebody said, okay, I'm going to take a note of that. That's what I'm going to start doing. They started asking me about end times, end times, end times. What do you know? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I said, I, I, I don't know. 
I don't, you pre-trib, uh, mid-trib, post-trib, I, I don't know. Here's the thing. Here's what I know. Every day when I wake up, if I take breath, if I, if I breathe, that day when I stand up out of the bed and when I finally become coherent and I know where I'm at, when I stand up, the first thing that I think of every single day, I have never been closer than I am right now to my earthly death or the return of Jesus. I've, I've never been closer than, than that right now. So I live my life that way. I could, I could be dead at any moment. He could return at any moment. Because I, I assure you, if I go out here and get T-boned, trying to get to the next thing today, it don't really matter whether it was pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I'm going I'm to meet him right now. You know, so, so anyway, so I'm going to, I'm going to go a little different today, which makes me uncomfortable because I, I like a rhythm and I don't like to break the rhythm, but I'm going to push through my discomfort and I'm going to break the rhythm of going verse by verse in chronological order. And that's going to drive me crazy. And, and me, and me preparing for this, this has driven me mad. Okay. Cause I don't like to do that, but, but based on some of the commentaries, they suggested it. I think they're right. I'm going to I'm going to actually like the first thing we're going to talk about I'm going to do verse 13 and 16. I'm not going to talk about 14 and 15 till after I'm done talking about 13 and 16 and then I'm going to take 17 and save it to the end and that's driving me crazy. All right, so let's let y'all stay with me. If I can do it, you can too. All right, so here we go. So first of all, let's talk about our incentives to respond to this last invitation. What what what's what's our incentive? Do you ever you do that? Before, when somebody's talking to you, you ever you might try to sell you a car or something. You're like, "Well, I, yeah, what's motivating me here? What's mine? I got an incentive for you. You know, let me tell you why you should care about this. You, uh, raise your hand if you've ever been in any part of sales. Yeah, and we, we were told to do that, weren't we? Why should they care? Okay, well, here's why we should care. First of all, the person of Christ in, in verse 16, uh, 13 and 16, look what he says. 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then, if we can, let's move on to 16, where he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about the, these things for the churches, which we knew about that. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So he says in these two verses, one of the reasons you need to accept God's invitation is because it comes personally from the exalted, majestic, glorious Lord Jesus Christ, not the big man upstairs. Okay, not not some obscure higher power. Okay, he's being very specific. The invitation for redemption comes from me. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. Threefold identification repeats the same truth for emphasis. Uh, you know, and this is what I thought was kind of cool too. You know, the original readers of the Revelation spoke Greek, so Jesus actually identifies him with the Greek alphabet. I mean, identifies himself to them in the Greek alphabet. When they heard Alpha and Omega, they said that's the beginning and the end. You know, so so that that's it. So he identifies himself, uh, you know, of the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, and he's parallel he's parallel paralleling this tough word for me as the first and the last. So when they say, all right, it's the first of our alphabet, it's the last. Then he says, and let me tell you what I mean by that. I mean that I am the first and I am the last. I am the beginning and I am the end. I am the beginning, which is the source of all things, and I'm also going to be the end, which is the goal of all things, right? How did this start and how's it going to end? And Jesus says, I'm how it's going to start and I'm how it's going to end. And, and, and that's it. So, because remember, I remember when John Lennox said this uh, to me when the first time I ever interviewed him, 
And he said in his really cool uh, Irish slash English accent, and it's not—it's kind of a hybrid of the two. And he said the reason why the Bible is so wonderful because of all the science and the theology and the and the psychology, all these different things that are out there, all these great thinkers, all this, all that, all that. He said human beings on their best day, the most intelligent of us all, cannot answer the questions of a child. Only the Bible can. And the child's questions are what? Who am I? Why am I here? And where did I come from? Science and psychology and philosophy, they have never been able to answer that question. The scriptures do. They tell you who you are. They tell you why you're here. And they tell you where you came from. And so uh, and so that's the beauty of these uh, wonderful God-inspired word, words. We're, we're right now what he is saying. He says, I'm expressing my infinity. I'm expressing my eternity. I'm, I'm, I'm expressing that I am boundless. And how about this? I can give you a transcending life that has no limitations. I have no limitations. This threefold description describes the completeness, the timelessness, the sovereign authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what else is he also telling us? The thing that was debated every day he walked the earth, his deity. Don't ever let anybody ever tell you that Jesus never said he was God. That is preposterous. That's the most outrageous statement. He he said he was God all the time. And here he is again. The titles that he just laid out about himself only apply to God. Not a great teacher, not a good fella with some things we might want to follow. First of all, you've heard me say this a thousand times. C.S. Lewis talked about this. Somehow thinking that we can make Jesus a good teacher and a good man, but yet not deity, uh, we really, you, those, if he claimed to be God, and he claimed that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and we could only be redeemed through him. He claimed he was going to pay the price for our sin, and once he paid it, uh, that we could be made fully righteous and we could be presented in front of a perfect holy God because of his righteousness. If all that was a lie, he's not a good man. And he's certainly not a teacher you should listen to. He's a, he's a, a charlatan. So there is no in-between. And this is, this is really what Christ is telling us, exactly what Paul was saying in one of the most beautiful writings of Paul to that letter from jail to the Philippians. And we love when he says in, in chapter 1, verse 21, if you want to write that down for you to go back to, chapter 1, verse 21 of Philippians, if you want to know what the secret of life is, Paul gives it to you. I'm going to say that again because it was kind of a mild response to that. If you're wondering what the secret to life is, Paul actually tells us, okay? And what does he say? To live as Christ, to die as gain. To be redeemed is to be redeemed by Christ. To be forgiven is to be forgiven by Christ. And Paul says, that has taken place in my life, so I'm good. I face difficulties. He even goes on in three to say, I actually, because of this devotion to him, I've actually lost all things. I've lost my standing. I'm in jail. I never thought I'd be in jail. My goodness. I mean, I was a Pharisee. I'm in jail. I was a teacher of the law. I'm in jail. I was wealthy. Now I'm not. I was respected. Now I'm not. Now people want to kill me. People want to put me in jail. 
And he says, but, but with all those things, everything I lost, it doesn't matter because I gained Jesus. And I consider those things that I was so enamored with, King James Version for my, my, my King James people said, I consider those things to be a pile of dung. ESV cleans it up a little bit, says rubbish. Some, some translations say garbage. But the bottom line is whatever Paul thought was so great, and I'm going to ask all of us in here something. Here's Jesus talking about himself at the end of everything we have in Scripture. I want to ask you, as I had to ask myself, do you truly consider all the things of the world to be garbage compared to gaining Christ? Are you saying, I'll gain Christ, but as long as it includes the garbage? I told you. Look, let me tell you. Jesus Christ said, talked about this when I got to preach at my home church, Jesus Christ said, deny self, Jesus Christ said, count the cost. Jesus Christ said, pick up your cross. And I've got news for you. All of those things were him giving you the warning, if you're going to follow me, I may take everything from you and leave you only me. And he says, what I'd like to know, is that enough? What did Elizabeth Elliot say? If Jesus said he provides for our needs, if we ain't got it, he didn't think we need it. Okay. And and but but see and and I, it's easy to nod at that, but what I'd like to know is you might want to consider will you still be nodding if he actually does it? It's one thing to be okay with the thought of it. It's another thing to be okay with it actually happening. And you, I mean, where you're standing there and 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 people say, "What have you got?" and you say, "Nothing, except Jesus." And you say, "And that's all I need." Everything else is garbage, dung. Nothing wrong with having it, just as long as you don't consider it more. You have to have it in order to be right. And um, because, you know, when you think about probably everybody in this room, me included, who have been through difficulty and, and, and tough things, if that isn't true and the only way that we really can be at peace is to have these things, I don't know about you, I've already had things removed from me that means my life would be over that peace and joy could never be found again. But see, that's not true, and that shows you how supernatural Jesus is right there. I'm actually quite joyful. I'm, I'm at peace. I'm not always happy, but I'm always joyful. Always. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I was talking to a brother a minute ago that, that I had the honor of speaking with, and, and, and I was telling him this, and I said it, I had a chance to say it last night, when Jesus says, be my disciples and make disciples, teach them all that I have commanded you, what he's saying is, you know what I've done for you. You know I could do that for anybody. So be sure and tell them that. But you need to know what you're talking about. So you got to abide in me. you got to know these things. We're in here learning it, and I commend you for that. And he says, and I'm going to tell you this. I don't know if you're there yet, and I promise you I haven't always been there, but I'm there. You know what usually gets me out of the bed every day? Somebody may come to Christ today. Rick, are you ready to die? Well, yeah, but if I die, then I no longer get to, to make disciples. I mean, that'll be over, and a lot of the burdens will be over, but that won't be available to me either. Do you wish Jesus would come back today? I do until I start thinking about all the people that would go to hell. Then I think, wow, is that selfish on my part? Jesus tells us himself 
that when everybody's petitioning the father, that what he is delaying, one of the reasons he's delaying is because he wants one more to come. Just one more. Is that is that when you hit when your when your feet hit the ground every day? Do you think to yourself, "I hope I can be in a position, God, that somebody may come to Christ today." Now that'll get you out of bed. Can I tell y'all at the end of it all, that's all that's going to matter? Can you imagine me walking in the presence of God, walking before Jesus the bema seat? He says, "Burgess, what have you got to me?" I say, "Pretty successful radio show." Had some pretty cool hunting land. I I got to travel the world. If you if you if you is there anybody here that I can point to? Because I've got crowns here. Do you deserve the crown of righteousness? Do you you weren't martyred, so you don't get the crown of life? What did your devotion to me cost you? Is there anybody? that can look to me right now and say, yeah, you used him. He's the one. His obedience. He, he taught me all you commanded, and he actually made, made a disciple out of me. Because you know what Jesus would say? I hope you have some of that since that's the very last thing I told you before I ascended to heaven. That's the last thing I said. And I also gave you tons of parables that showed you that when I return, don't shrink at my coming because you didn't do what I told you to do. I hope that you've been so obedient to what I told you that when you hear of my coming, it's joyful and you come running to me. You're not ashamed for me to see you. Now, remember, we're not talking about redemption here. We are, but we are talking about what we're doing with our redemption. And so this is that's why we should care about this. And then in 16, uh, Jesus identifies himself through, through, through angels communicating with John. Jesus is making sure, look at this, 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel. So these angels are telling John the revelation, but who's the source? Jesus. And he wants to be sure that we all know that right here in the final words. He said, I, Jesus, only, here in the Bible, the final invitation isn't a human one. It's issued personally to sinners by Jesus. Now I want you to think about that. See, get that in your mind. Because I know none of us are adequate to do that. But when we go out and say, we want to talk to you about redemption, what Jesus is making clear that we understand, I'm asking them to be redeemed. I'm offering forgiveness. You're not, because you can't forgive them. But be sure they know that I can. I'm the source. You're the messenger. I'm the source. And that's what he is he's declaring. He says, and then Jesus declares himself to be both the root of, Oh, this is deep right here. The ancestor and the descendant of David. Try that. Try that. Try to be human and try that. See if you can pull off being an ancestor and a descendant of somebody. You ain't got that. That's not possible. But Jesus says, I'm both David's ancestor and his descendant. I'm both. I'm the God man. I was before David and I came after David. I'm the God man. I, I, that blew me away studying that because I'd never really thought about that before. And, and it, it was mind-blowing. But this sums up the biblical teaching on Christ having two natures. Only the God-man can be both David's ancestor and his descendant. Deity, the root of David. Humanity, the descendant. 
I'm going to say that again because that's mind-blowing. Deity, the root of David. Humanity, the descendant of David. Finally, he calls himself the bright morning star. That one I've never, I, I had to learn a lot about this, this, this attribute of Jesus, this name for Jesus. He uses it for himself. But in biblical times as today, what, what do we say about somebody that's to be exalted? They're a star. Right now, we use it, unfortunately, to worship human beings. But, but what Jesus is saying, anybody else that's called a star, I'm really the only one that should be because I truly am one. I should be exalted. Human beings really shouldn't, but I should. And, and if you know, Daniel calls him this in, in Daniel 12, 3, if you want to make a, a note of that. Also, in the Jewish writings, the, the Hebrews called Messiah a star. So that's important. So he's saying he should be exalted, and he's reminding everybody, I'm also this star they were talking about. I am Messiah. Uh, No question about that. John 8, 12 refers to him as what? The light of the world. Uh, Morning star also heralds the arrival of the day. Jesus will herald the end of darkness for mankind. He is the light of the world. Now, back to 14 and 15 now. We also uh, need to be thinking about the exclusivity of heaven. Uh, This is clear. Look at this in 14 and 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I know some of you right now that have often wondered, do dogs go to heaven? Apparently not. No, I'll just I'll explain what he means here. But I do love upsetting uh, upsetting dog people about that. Uh, but anyway, so uh, first one first one that didn't get in, dogs. All right, so anyway, um, no, that's not what he's talking about. I'll tell you what he's talking about here in a minute. But I will let you know something. The way we act about dogs in our culture would be weird to the people of biblical times. Y'all have one of these in your house? So we'll talk about that. That that would they would have been like us seeing somebody that had a rat for a pet. We'd be like, I know some weird people do, but I mean, it's how we would feel if you looked and somebody was sitting on their couch petting a gopher rat watching TV. You'd be like, what? Like, oh, we all love these. We put sweaters on them. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I'm not I'm not exaggerating. They were scoundrels and of the street and scavengers. What they were. People didn't have them in their houses. But anyway, so. The, this section begins with, with the last of the seven Beatitudes, which we find in the Revelation. If you remember, if you want to make a note of this, go back and look at them. Here are the Beatitudes that show up in the Revelation. Uh, there's one there at uh, right out of the gate, chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 14, verse 13, chapter 16, verse 15, chapter 19, verse 9, and of course we just had the sixth one not long ago, chapter 20, verse 6. Each one gets the pronouncement of blessed. Now, this blessed, our blessing, is announced on those who wash their robes. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Uh, you could, you, let, let's look back, um, just flip over to Revelation 7, Revelation seven fourteen, because uh, you're going to see that this, this is uh, bringing us back to something that we, we actually had, John had sh- talked to us about before. So go back to chapter 7. And then let's go to verse 14 um, of 7. Are you there? 
this is the elder uh, talking. I said to him, sir, you know, remember this? The elder addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? Remember that? And then he basically, remember, we laughed about John telling the elder, well, you know, don't you? What do you need me to tell you? Uh, Of course, the elder's trying to see if John knows. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Okay, so these are those that came to Christ in the tribulation. And look what he says about them. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So blessed are those who wash their robes. What? Those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Blessed are those so that they may have the right to the tree of life. So when, when, you, when you see this, soiled clothing always represents sinfulness. Uh, you see this in Isaiah 64, 6, Zechariah 3, 3, Psalms 51, 7, Isaiah 1, 18, Titus 3, 5. Um, and and this, this is a, and, and if you see these, if you see soiled clothing being washed, this speaks of the cleansing of sin that accomplishes salvation, redemption. Uh, the agency through what that cleansing comes is made very clear throughout Scripture, and it's emphasized here in the final words of Scripture. The source of the cleansing is the blood of Jesus. No one's soiled clothing, sin, can be made white, purification, any other way. There's no other detergent than the blood of Jesus. And that's throughout Scripture. I could give you so many verses on this. If you want them, there's so many. Uh, Revelation 1.5, Revelation 5.9. We just did the one in 7.14. In the New Testament, before the Revelation, you have Matthew 26, verse 28, Acts 20.28, 20, Romans 3.24.25, Ephesians 1.7. Ephesians 2.13, Colossians 1.20, Hebrews 9.12, Hebrews verse 14 and 9, Hebrews 10.19, Hebrews 13.12, 1 Peter 1.2, 1 Peter 18 verse 19, I'm sorry, 2 verse 18 and 19, there's not 18, 19 chapters in 1 Peter, and 1 John 1 and 7. So the first Peter is chapter 1, verse 2, verse 18, verse 19. And then 1 John 1, 7. All of this says this. So this is not some minor theme, because what does the Scriptures want us to know? Exclusivity. Why? Because if you go out in the world much right now, you'll see people saying there's all kinds of ways to be okay with God. But there aren't. And Jesus makes that clear. So those who have experienced the washing from sin that marks salvation will forever have the right to the tree of life. The tree of life is is in the capital city of heaven, the New Jerusalem, which we've talked about. And remember what he kept saying. Go back uh, to uh, to Revelation two, the letters to the church. Revelation two, and then we're going to look at uh, at verse seven. And if you remember in in Revelation two, verse seven, look what Jesus says when he's talking about the letters to the church. And he says in 2.7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers or overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Well, here it is. He said those that have overcome, those who have washed their robes with the blood of Jesus, they will also have access to the tree of life. They are allowed to enter by the gates 
of the city. Heaven is exclusive. Cleanse from sin by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Your name must be written in the Lamb's book of life. Everyone else will forever remain outside the new Jerusalem, outside the new heaven, outside the new earth. They will remain, unfortunately, in the lake of fire. And then he makes it clear. Now he's going to say, now let me tell you who's not coming in. And, of course, the first one, I hate to say it, is dogs. Uh, but what does he mean by that? Well, you got to understand the culture that he's writing to. Everybody in that culture, as soon as they saw that, they go, oh, you're talking about lowlifes. You're talking about people who are scoundrels and bad people. They were called dogs. If you remember, the Hebrews called the Gentiles dogs because they, they, saw, they said we were unclean, that we were unredeemable. And so what, what Jesus is saying, he's coming back to this, and he says in 15, outside are the dogs. That's, that's, that's a low life. That's a, a person who is sinful, wicked, evil, um, someone of low character. Uh, the, you, you, you also see that um, uh, it also comes in Deuteronomy 23.18. Uh, in Deuteronomy 23.18, uh, this label of calling someone undesirable a dog appears, and it appears discussing male temple prostitutes. They're called dogs. Um, and then, of course, he gets into sorcerers. That's anyone that practices occult, um, drug abuse. We know that, that pharmacy, uh, pharmacia is also part of this, uh, et cetera. Um, I, I will tell you, and I'm going to say it again, this, this tampering around with sorcery and tampering around with darkness and, and demons and monsters and demonic stuff. This is not funny. This is, this is not a minor deal. I, I will tell you this, not getting on my soapbox. Okay. But just hear me. Okay. Some of this Halloween stuff that we, we just came through. I'm telling you, it's dangerous, dangerous stuff. Now, now if you're, kid is dressing up, you know, as a cartoon character and you're going to see your mama and your aunt and your uncle and they got some candy for the kids. I certainly understand that. But don't you ever dress your child up as a witch. Don't you ever dress your child up like a vampire, uh, some demonic thing, some serial killer, something dark and twisted. Don't put that crap in your yard. Don't put it around. All of that is problematic. And God hates it. He absolutely hates it, and it is not funny, and it's not something to be taken lightly. And if you think I'm over the top on that, you just think that way. Uh, we, we got to the point in our family, which I'm not saying it's what you're supposed to do or that I'm more holy if, if you don't do that. I'm not saying that. We had such a hard time walking the line with it, we just got away from it altogether. And we sat down with our children and say, we don't do Halloween. And I, I cannot, there has not been one day that I ever regretted that. We just don't do it. Uh, and that's, that mean that's what you're supposed to do. But now I'm not even, I'm not going to compromise on don't get into that monster stuff. Dressing your child as a witch. And here we hear that witches will not enter the new Jerusalem. Are you going to dress your kid up like a witch? You're going, you're going to have, you're going to have magic spell parties over at your house. I mean, what are you doing? I mean, th th this is dangerous, dangerous stuff. And God hates it. Don't ever do anything that God hates. And, uh, and so, and it says that these people who get involved in this kind of stuff are not going to be there. Immoral persons, uh, th this, the word that is being used here, if we went and found exactly what it was talking about, this is a illicit sexual activities. These are the perverts. These are the, these are the, um, those that do all sorts of types of sexual activity that is not 
under the authority of God, and I'll be honest with you because we pick and choose this, like there's severities of this, anything that is not one man and one woman under the authority of God's holy marriage, all that is a moral sexual sin. All of it. And and he says those that never repent of that and discontinue that activity, they won't be here because they have not cleaned their robes. Uh, also murderers, uh, that, that's, that's the taking of innocent life. Anybody who takes innocent life is a murderer. Idolaters, that means anything that we worship uh, more than we worship God. Uh, and, 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 and you know what else being a, a, an idolater is? It's not just worshiping the wrong thing. You know what else it is? And this is one you got to be careful of. It's also not properly worshiping God. You know, there's a way to worship God that, that is correct, and there's, there's ways that you're blaspheming God. And you may say, well, I don't have an idol. I just don't, I just don't worship God the way he demands. Well, that's problematic too. He demands the right kind of worship, and he demands the proper place in our lives. He also goes into the practicing of lying, uh, not people who stumble and do something that they shouldn't have done. None of this is about people who had made a few mistakes in their life even after redemption. These, what he's talking about is deliberate. Remember what, he, what 1 John says, those who practice sin. There's no way they can abide in God, and God's seed abide in them. They continue to practice sin. Practice sin's crucial. This is habitual. This is deliberate. This is perpetual. He says those people will not be in. They love their sins, and they cling to them, and they refuse repentance. And those who do that, they pick sin over God, they won't be in. Next, he talks about the truthful of Scripture. This is verses 18 and 19. This is all the last things he's saying to us. So let's look at 18 and 19. He says, um, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Wow. So Jesus says the words of the prophecy of the Revelation, he warns against any tampering with Scripture. First and foremost, he, he takes the, this, this prophecy and moves it to the front. I don't want any of it tampered with, but I really don't want the Revelation tampered with. None of it should be tampered with, and he says especially these prophecies. Why? This is the information everybody needs. Don't give them the wrong information. It may cost them their eternity. So he says, do not add to it. Do not take away. Of course, this includes all Scripture. But he's also talking. Now listen to what Moses said in Deuteronomy 4.2 to tell, you, to tell you it does apply to all Scripture. Moses, you shall not add to the word of which I am commanding you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command to you. You also see this in Deuteronomy 13, 32, and in Proverbs 30, 5, and 6. The canon was closed at the end of the first century when Revelation was finished. Thus any, listen to me now, any who add alleged new revelations. When you hear somebody talk a new revelation after the canon was closed, they are dangerous people. There are no new revelations. Okay, now they'll come and play games with you because you'll you'll try to you'll try to use this scripture against them. They'll say, "Oh, well, John was just talking about, and Jesus was just talking about that particular book." He's not talking about you can't add to the whole canon. Well, yes, he is. And when anybody says that Jesus appeared to somebody else, 
uh, after John and gave them some new information, I don't care how kind and nice they are and how pleasant they are. They're talking to you from the devil. I know that that's uncomfortable, and but but it's important. And and if you don't believe that, I had somebody on the air one day, and they were talking about uh, the fact that they were Mormon, and because they have a new revelation. And the guy said, "We're just nothing but another denomination of Christianity." Of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I tripped him up, and I said, "Okay, well then I don't need to know what you have then." He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well then I don't need to be a Mormon." You said we're all the same. We're just another denomination, so I've got the Bible. I, I've repented of my sin. I've left faith in myself. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. So if you're just another denomination, then I don't need to know anything from you. Why do I have to be a Mormon then? He says, well, because you don't have all the truth. I said, ah, see, we're not the same. So you said we're the same. We're not the same. Don't believe that garbage. If we're the same, then I don't need that Book of Mormon. But they'll tell you you do need it. So then we're really not the same, are we? Serious stuff. Because Scripture talks about it clearly. And he says anyone who adds any alleged new revelations to it will face divine vengeance. God will add to such people the plagues which are written in the book of the Revelation. God's judgment just as severe on anyone who takes away from the words, God will take away them and their part from the tree of life and from the holy city. Believe the Bible, guard the Bible, love the Bible, obey the Bible. These are the words of Jesus to John, and he's passing along. I'm going to say that again. Believe the Bible, guard the Bible, guard it, love it. Obey it. This is in the final words of the Bible, which which is a really big deal. There are no new revelations. Okay? And you know what else? We'd also not go into Scripture and take things out of it either and think that God's evolved on something or changed his standard on something just because our feelings think that. Our eyes cannot be trusted. I spoke to someone sometimes that sometime that thought God had uh, evolved on marriage, and I said, where have you come up with this new revelation? And they said, well, I've just observed it with my own eyes. And I thought, well, that's what I was afraid of. I don't believe we're the authority to be trusted. I believe God probably is. Uh, I know he is. So because of the certainty of Christ's return, look at 20 and 21. That's the next reason we need to listen. The certainty. Look what he says. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then we get into 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So the final recorded words in Scripture, the Lord Jesus says to us, for those of you that take issue with this notion that according to God's timeline, he's actually coming quickly. How did Jesus describe his second coming? Soon. That's what he said. So John's on Patmos. He's hearing from the angel. He's hearing from Jesus. And these are Jesus' own words. Surely, count on it, I'm coming soon. 
Now, so you may say, and, and Scripture tries to clarify, well, it doesn't feel soon to me. But we're told this because we're, wherever we are, because I'm telling you, that it's the way John felt it. Jesus is saying, you be ready for me in your life at any time because you don't know how my timeline's working. What may seem like a long time to you, so people have opportunity, remember the building of the ark, God didn't bring the flood for 120 years. But I promise you, when people were floating around out in the water and they didn't get in the ark, it felt soon. But by God's timeline, it ain't it going to be very long at all. He's telling us clear instruction to live your life like I come at any time. If he didn't want us to live that way, he would have said, hey, look, you got nothing to rush about. I'll give you some idea about how many years it'll be based on y'all's calendar, the way y'all keep time. But keep in mind, I am time. So I'm not following some calendar like y'all do. So he said himself that his coming was soon. Those are his words. And I love John's response to Jesus saying that. Amen. Come on. That's John's response. Is that your response? Come on. That's what John said. And then the last thing that he says, and I love this, is a plea. A plea. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Can you believe that the Bible ends with grace? The Lord Jesus and his grace, may he be available in, in with all of you. To all of humanity. All of fallen humanity just simply needs the grace of Jesus. So here it is. To wrap up our study of the Revelation, we go to verse 17. The final invitation. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. The final invitation is in the Revelation in verse 17. Come. The Spirit says, come to Jesus. The third member of the Trinity responds that now the Holy Spirit is getting involved and the Holy Spirit like it does right now, like it's doing in this moment, it's the Holy Spirit that says, come. Come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the, is the pull. Come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the conviction of sin. Come to Jesus. The Spirit is, is pleading that we come to Christ and pleading with Jesus. Now, the Spirit isn't asking Christ to come, but for sinners to come to Christ. The Spirit is not asking Jesus to come to the sinners. He's now because he's already done that and paid the price. He's asking sinners to come to Christ. He doesn't need to become like us again. We need to become like him. He, we're not trying to make him something more palatable to us. He says, the Holy Spirit cries out, let him make you more palatable to the Father. The Father needs you to be fully righteous. So come. Don't try to walk in, in front of, of the, of, the, of the Father, like Jesus warned in John 15, he said, now some of y'all, you're branches, but you're not connected to the vine. 
And if you're not connected to the vine, you're going to walk before my father and you're going to be rotten branches and you'll only be good for fire. Connect to the vine and I will produce in you much fruit, proving that you're my disciple. And listen, and my, and my father will be glorified by that. You know what he's saying? If you want the father to celebrate your presence in front of him, come with me. And then he says about a spiritual thirst. Let the one who hears come. Let the one who hears, the one who thirsts not for water, like a drink of water. He's saying spiritual thirst. And what does a spiritual thirst call us to do? Repent. I'm thirsty for the living water. Jesus said what? In John 7, 37, he says, If anyone that is thirsty come to me and drink, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life, and I will give it to him without cost. We also saw that in Revelation 21, 6. So here he is saying, if you're yearning for the water of life and you realize you can't buy it and you realize you can't earn it and you realize you can't do it, all these things that Jesus was showing us, all these things the Old Testament was showing us, it was showing us one thing, you can't do it. You need a Savior. You need a Redeemer. Because you cannot do it. And Jesus says, that's right. Why don't you finally admit that and just come? I'm what you need. I'm what you want. I'm the answer. I've done it. Come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost, because you can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's only by the grace through the faith in Jesus. And Jesus provides the water of regeneration. Did you, did you know that was the biggest moment? I had tried cultural Christianity. I, I tried believing the right things. I never was agnostic. I never was an atheist. But I was as sinful and dark. I was a dog that was never going to be uh, allowed in heaven. And I couldn't figure out why me believing in Jesus had not regenerated me. And when I finally realized when he sent that man into my life to point to the evidence of the devil and not the evidence of Jesus in my life, I, I, I realized that moment when I was broken in my house, I can still see the carpet, still see where I was, is when I finally said, completely sincere, completely broken. I can't change me. But you can. I know you can. I can't get this right. But you can. As best I can understand, I'm just begging you to change me. I don't want to be this man anymore. I see the damage that I've caused. I want you to change me. I, I desire to change. I thirst. I didn't know that's what it was then for the water of regeneration. And I can't be regenerated any other way than by you. And I said, I know you love me. I know you do. I've heard the gospel my entire life. It, I'm, I'm, it's not foreign to me. 
but I don't love you. Teach me to love you. Just change me. As best I know how, I repent. And as best I know how, I ask you to forgive me. And you teach me to love you. And he has. From that one just moment of sincerity. Have there been ups and downs? Yeah. Have there been moments he has to correct me? Absolutely. Am I being sanctified? Yes. Am I glorified? No. Will I be? Yes. Do I justify sin when I make a mistake? I don't. Do I own it? I do. Is it immediate? Sometimes. Other times it's a few days later. But he doesn't let me get away with it anymore. That's the Holy Spirit saying, come, come, get back in line. You fed the flesh today. I'm, I, you haven't fed me today. You keep feeding me, we won't do this anymore because you'll be too uncomfortable. So if you're thirsty for forgiveness, if your mind is thirsty for the truth and your soul is thirsty for him, they just come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the incredible message of redemption. I, I think I was most blown away this week, Lord, by the fact that you, you are pleading for us to come. Because you know the destruction that we deserve, and you know that's what's going to happen if we don't. Thank you for giving us our best shot. Thank you for paying the debt we could not pay. And thank you for paying it in full, not partially. Thank you for offering to us full righteousness, not partial. Lord, I know that there are people, maybe even in this very room, they need to come. They need to say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. I'm going to leave faith in myself. I'm going to place my faith in you. I'm, it's not too late. I'm still alive. You've been gracious. I have this opportunity. You haven't returned yet. I haven't died yet. So today I say I thirst. I thirst for forgiveness. I thirst for truth. I thirst for you. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Today I will come to you. And I will cling to you. And will you please take your blood and wash my robes pure so that I can be with you. If you've done that for the first time or the first time you've ever meant it, he hears you. If I can help you with the next step because you need to be discipled, you need to grow now and be sanctified, you reach out to me, rick at burgessministries.com, and I'll help you any way I can. Lord, thank you for this walk through the revelation, and thank you for being kind enough to show us the future, to reassure us, and to warn us. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for being with us. We'll start uh, our study of 2 Corinthians one week from today. Thanks.